Hello everyone, I want to start off in the most vulnerable way possible and discuss, I'll be discussing more of these uh, more in depth in future episodes, but I want to be honest about something. I am recovering from sexual performance anxiety. By Stephanie Watson, medically reviewed by Nazia Q. Banju Kuala Dio on February 4, 2020. This is WMD.com. We're talking about sexual performance anxiety. Um, I'm going to be talking about how I recovered from sexual performance anxiety myself. Sex is supposed to be enjoyable, but it's tough to have fun if you're constantly worrying about how well you're doing. If you want to put the sparkle back in your love life or casual life, or don't put a label on, on the relationship life. Learn why sexual performance anxiety might be happening to you and get some tips to put yourself at ease. The causes of sexual performance anxiety. Sex is, sex is more than just a physical response. Your emotions have something to do with it too. When your mind is too stressed out to focus on sex, your body can't get excited either. Pause. The sexual performance anxiety I was forced to endure at the age of five by the rapist is why I'm recovering from sexual performance anxiety as an adult. So I, even though I was sexually active um, with girls my age when I was when I started to be raped by women and a couple of men. And for years, I was sexually active. Years. With just young ladies my age. Um, I was always constantly worrying about how well I was doing sexually. Um, and I had a mightily difficult time putting myself at ease sexually during that time. And I still am overcoming the remnants and ramifications of it, of it now. Um, my mind was at times too stressed out to focus on sex, but because of the whole minimization, everything is fine attitude I was taught to forced to have by the rapist. I was still able to quote unquote perform well according to uh, the partners I had, but I still had anxiety, sexual performance wise, eating at me throughout that time. And my performance was based upon how well they liked it. Um, I would just agree with them, but deep down I felt like could I have done better sexually so um, these are issues that I um, am overcoming just being vulnerable about it helped me out so my body was physically excited but my soul was spiritually lethargic if you know what I mean Lots of different words can lead to the problem. Fear that you won't perform well in bed and all the other sexual settings and satisfy your partner and your partner sexually. That used to be my struggle. Um, 
but I change my relationship with sex. I change my relationship with my own body. I change my relationship with my own self-esteem. And I change my relationship with sexual partnerships, meaning um, it's now more about we checking in on each other constantly and talking about it before we actually um, live it out it any sex poor body image including concern over your weight I used to have that issue um, you know trained professional assistance has helped me to overcome these issues problems in your relationship the problems were trauma bonding codependency with therapeutic help I was able to overcome that and the fear that, and the fear that you won't perform well in bed in open sexual settings that's my partner sexually um partner sexually too um therapeutic help helped me to overcome that um worry that your penis won't measure up I used to feel inadequate about my size um in fact, all these causes actually were due to the rape I experienced when I was five, gang rape. And let's see, I remember the rapists, some of them criticized my quote-unquote sexual performance. Um, they criticized my quote-unquote sexual satisfaction. They criticized my body image. They criticized my weight. They criticized my height. They criticized the fact that I had a child's penis in terms of size when I was five. Um, so those are the lies that I had to overcome with therapeutic support. Uh, proud relationship. I witnessed that in terms of abusive relationships when I was five. So. Even though I never was an abuse and never have been, never will be. Um, I struggled with codependency and trauma bonding and um, the concept of coddling, enabling. Not in terms of not always like struggling to give constructive criticism when I needed because I had a hard time not wanting approval. I was never self-destructive though. I'm just talking about in my relationship with people I didn't always feel empowered to tell people the truth about their uh, disastrous conduct, um, for sure. Um, concern about ejaculating too early or taking too long to reach orgasm. I remember the rapist making fun of me because I was unable to ejaculate because I was a five-year-old. And I remember them saying that you make me come to, oh God, well, you make me come too early. Okay, whew. Whenever we fuck, I mean, ugh. It's rape, I mean, goddamn. Um, and so 
they make me feel like I made them suffer from premature female ejaculation. So I had that feeling of ejaculation worry, but therapeutics, of course, they've overcome that. Anxiety about not being able to have orgasm or sexual experience. Um, I remember some of the rapists said, you don't make me calm. So, ugh. You know what I mean? And so eventually, I had to work, quote unquote, overtime. This is disgusting as fucking hell. Uh, trifling shit, I'd say. Um, so I had to, quote unquote, work overtime just to get them to come. They wanted me to be a, a cow drive machine, as they said, ugh. So I had to overcome these things, therapeutic support. These things mainly your body really stress homeless, like, at a pinfrine and non a a pine frine, fine frine and non repine frine. Yeah. Maybe okay, I can see that. That's how um I think that's what happens when I look back on it, but it wasn't super noticeable. But now to look back on it, I think that's what happened to me. In terms of the stress hormones they just mentioned. Symptoms, your state of mind can have a big impact on your ability to get aroused. Even if you're with someone who, who you find sexually appealing, worry about whether you'll be able to please your partner can make it impossible for you to do just that. One of the effects of stress hormones is to narrow blood vessels and less blood flows into your penis. It's more difficult to have an erection. Even guys who normally don't have any trouble getting excited might not be able to get an erection when they're overcome by sexual performance anxiety. In my situation, I was able to have erections being sexually active outside of the abuse. Um, even though the rapist forced me to have an erection because they looked the way that biologically my biology would go, oh my God, you know, curves and yeah. Ugh. Um, so I was able to have an erection and make all my partners come. Even though sex for anxiety was killing me, I had this, I got to fight through mentality because that's what the rape brought to me uh, forcibly. Sexual performance anxiety isn't diagnosed often in women as it is in men, but it can affect arousal in women too. Anxiety can prevent women from getting lubricated enough to have sex and it can take away the physical desire to make love. Anxiety can... This happens to people who are speaking People like me. Um, anxiety can take you out of the right mindset for sex when you focus on whether you'll perform well. You can't concentrate on what you're doing in bed and all the other sexual settings. Even if you're able to get aroused, you may be too distracted to reach orgasm. Sexual performance anxiety leads to a cycle of troubles. You might become so anxious about sex that you can't perform with this even more sexual performance anxiety. Um, overcoming sexual performance anxiety. If you've got sexual performance anxiety, see a doctor, someone you're comfortable enough with to discuss your sex life. 
The doctor will examine you, do some tests to make sure your health condition and medication is causing your problem. Well, I'm I don't have any health conditions or medication because of the problem. It was impure indoctrination that I got from the pedophiles that I had to shove out of my psyche forever. During the exam, your doctor asks about your sexual history, find out how long you've had sexual performance inside and what kind of thoughts and experience with your sex life. Medications and other therapies can help treat erectile dysfunction and other sexual problems that have physical causes. Um, well, I've discovered with my therapist that I don't have erectile dysfunction. It was, a men- it was more of a mental issue. If the medical issue isn't to blame, your doctor might suggest you try one of these approaches. Talk to a therapist, which I did. Make an appointment with a counselor therapist who has experience in treating sexual problems. Therapy can help you understand and then reduce or get rid of the issues that are causing the sexual performance anxiety. If you worry about premature ejaculation, for example, you could try some techniques to help you gain more control. Oh, I have. I, I have medium sex. Medium sex for me means not too fast, not too slow. Just right where it's, we have to apply wholeness and oneness in sex. That's how you get graduality within eroticism, which I've achieved. It's, you let the buildup be your friend, meaning you don't focus on the climax. You focus on the fact that you're spiritually climaxing with the person because y'all vibe very well. And you just go with the flow and coach each other. It's a mixture of both. Um, and, you know, if you slow it down and focus on the, the, the fact that you have the gift of making love to this other person um, then or these other people, then it's much easier to jack but you're not focused on it. You're not judging each other. You're not judging yourself. You're just allowing a mixture of animal instincts with, more importantly, humane and neighborly uh, psychology to combine. Be open with your partner. Talk with your partner about your anxiety to help ease some of your worries and try to reach a solution together to make sure all closer as a couple whether you're casual or committed and improve your sexual relationship. See, that's what I do with my partners. We talk about that kind of stuff and we work together. Picking the right partners, it helps. People are willing to be patient with you really, really helps me because I'm that way with them. We're sensitive lovers with, to each other at all times. Get intimate other ways, man. Ooh, this is something that I'm that this is something that I've been teaching myself. I've been my own therapist lately. Um, get intimate other ways. Learn how to be intimate without sexual intercourse. Give your partner a central massage to take a warm bath together. That's what I do with my partners. Take turns pleasing each other with masturbation so you don't always have to feel pressure to perform sexually. Yes, that's exactly what I do with them, they do with me. Uh, we engage in mutual masturbation. 
as well. Exercise. Not only does working out make you feel better about your body, it also improves your stamina a bit. Yeah, I'm exercising more, and that's one of the reasons. And it also improves your stamina and all the other sexual settings. Of course, that's one of the reasons why I'm exercising. Distract yourself. Put on some romantic music or a sexy move while I make love. I, like, I do that sometimes. Think about something that turns you on. I most certainly do. Taking your mind off your sexual performance can remove the worries that stop you from getting excited. That's one of my victories I'm making public. Finally, take it easy on yourself. Don't beat yourself up about your parents' ability better or all the other sexual settings. Get help for sex forms anxiety so you can get back to having a healthy, enjoyable sex life. I have accomplished, I keep accomplishing those missions. So yes, I'm a sexual performance anxiety survivor. I'm proud of it. I don't give a fuck who makes fun. The people who want to make fun of me for being public about my sexual performance anxiety, I have two gorgeous words just for you. Fuck you. Okay. Verywellmind.com What is sexual performance anxiety? By Talka Tumi O. Warvorio. Published on November 19, 2021. Medically reviewed by David Sossman, PhD. What is sexual performance anxiety? Feeling anxious before sex is normal. However, feeling so nervous that you cannot have sex and enjoy sex might be sexual performance anxiety, SPA. SPA is a type of performance anxiety that affects sexual activity in particular. A person has this condition will also be overcome by fear that they'll be unable to perform either before sexual activities or during them. This disorder is more prevalent in men than in women, but it can happen to LGBTQI plus community people such as myself. It can also lead to the development of sexual disorders such as erectile dysfunction. Sexual performance anxiety is one of the most common sexual conditions in the world today. Some research shows 9% to 25% of men are affected by SPA and 6% to 16% of women are affected by this condition. SPA looks a little different when it, hap- when it happens before sex than during sex. Yeah, I've, I've felt anxious before sex because I felt anxious before rape. Rape, five years old, happened against me. Um, I was trained to be sexually active early at that time, so that's why I felt anxious before sex as well with the partners that is outside of the abuse. Uh, when it occurs before sex, it makes having sex almost impossible. You're most likely be unable to have or sustain an erection. However, when it happens during sex, you find that you can't enjoy sex or even climax. It was amazing how I was always able to climax with my partners for sure but the rapist it was forced climax so by logic I was enjoying even though I felt I felt shitty I felt fucked up Yeah. Mm. If left untreated, SPA could cause other sexual dysfunctions and cause you to lose interest in sex and the sexual activities. 
In the 2005 study, researchers found that performance anxiety plays a huge role in the development of sexual dysfunction both men and women, even though it can, again, it happens to people who are LGBTQI plus like myself. Symptoms of sexual performance anxiety. Uh, symptoms of sexual performance anxiety typically, typically include having little or no interest in engaging in sexual activities. Um, I felt that way, but whenever a young lady threw herself at me, suddenly my interest was breaking the scales more than 100. Uh, premature ejaculation when you have sex. I had that, but it wasn't a problem because I was able to keep ejaculating the whole time. I don't have premature ejaculation issues anymore, but it would just happen because my body was programmed that way because of the ring. Uh, being able to have the same erection, I was amazed that I could sustain it because and have one because I was forced to due to the rape. But I can sustain an erection independent of the rape. I can have ejaculation success independent of the rape. And I have strong interest in engaging in sexual activities independent of the rape, right? Finding it difficult to orgasm during sex. Independent of the rape, that's not true about me. At first, I did find it difficult because I was so scared, but once, you know, the autopilot came in because the rapist gave me autopilot, just go, 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 don't think, go, go. I was able to orgasm. And independent of the rape, you know, I can orgasm during sex, it's fine. Symptoms of sexual performance inside her look a little different in women. Women with this condition might experience vaginal dryness. I remember my partners having that. And I'm not sharing anything that they're not uncomfortable with me telling me publicly, by the way. Um, they had it, but it didn't last long because um, we worked through it. We were determined we're going to enjoy ourselves. And the way I worked through it was complimenting each other. And that's how they were able to orgasm. Some of my... I mean, some of the rapists had vaginal dryness, but they didn't care. It was like, you satisfied me, and they felt like, okay, this dryness won't last long. You know, they told me they had it. It's just like, Wah, I know. Wah, 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 wah. That, I'm really, wah. I'm really disgusted. Difficulty getting aroused. Some of my partners had that. Um... But it didn't last long. I grew up in a don't la don't have your sexual issues last long because the rapist like no, fix it right now. So when it came to myself and my partners and been in the rape, you know, we didn't let this last long. Um, we just worked through some of my partners were raping themselves. Uh, But eventually we were able to have arousing success. And I had to get aroused a lot to satisfy the rapist. They told me they were always satisfied. They were like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in the worst way. Complain, but then go, oh, you good. It's, uh, experiencing pain, experiencing some pain during sex. So I did. Crampy. I was crampy during the rape. 
And when I said so I said a little cramp, but it had nothing to do with my parts. I think had everything to do with the uh, negative effects of the rape. And rape and sex are never the same thing. I just want to clarify. People with sex performance anxiety experience it in in different ways, making it essential to look out for all symptoms typically associated with conditions. So identifying um, sexual performance anxiety. Sexual performance anxiety sometimes is diagnosed with erectile dysfunction. While the condition could cause erectile dysfunction, these are two different conditions. Sexual performance anxiety is not a recognized medical condition, which often makes diagnosis and treatment difficult. The shame usually attached to sexual dysfunction conditions also prevents people from seeking help from a doctor or healthcare provider. I remember the rapist said I had erectile dysfunction, even though that was not the case. Um, they would make hand gestures to make fun of my child size penis. And I remember uh, growing up. that the way we were, I would work through sexual issues with my partners, young ladies, we just kept having sex. Uh, that's all, we, we would talk kindly and give each other positive affirmations, but because their brain was programmed like mine, because of what happened to us, we just, we felt like we just need to have more sex, we need to, uh, we would be autopilot, that's how our way of working through sexual issues is different for me now. Uh, but that's how it was for me back then, and as well as them. For a diagnosis of sexual performance anxiety to be made, any other reasons for your diminished sexual performance, such as other medical conditions, will have to be ruled out. A psychotherapist typically makes a diagnosis of SPA. Causes of sexual performance anxiety. Your body goes through specific changes when you're anxious that could, when you're anxious that could affect your sexual performance. When you are anxious, you typically experience an increase in hormones like no, nor Repine and cortisol. An increase in these hormone levels also causes an increase in your blood pressure levels, which can cause a reduction in blood flow to your penis, preventing you from getting a sustaining interaction. It's like I felt the hormone levels would come, but then because of the autopilot being, I had an overabundance of blood flow. It wasn't painful, it wasn't hurtful, but that's what happened to me. It felt painful because of rape, but I just got raped recently. Physical pain with the ovaries, and now occasionally I would feel the cramps. Sexual performance anxiety has no single cause. It's typically caused by a range of biological and psychological factors, such as healthy body, having body image, and self esteem issues. People who are overly concerned about their height, weight, or appearance of particular body parts might, might experience SPA when they engage in uh, sexual activities. I overcame that with the help of. Uh, therapy. Feeling emotionally disconnected from your partner. Sometimes SPA is brought up by emotional issues you might be going through with your partner. Well, the emotional disconnect was never there with my partners. We, at times, we didn't always know how to emotionally um, treat each other well in terms of the best way to care for one another. But we did care for each other. We just didn't know how to fully do that. So I overcame that with the help of therapy. Dealing with mental health conditions, depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and the SPA. Yeah, those things were given to me by forcibly by the rapist, so I overcame that with the help of therapy. A lack of sexual experience. People who have less sexual experience might feel some performance anxiety in the first begin to have sex. That did happen to me. Did happen to me. Um, 
but I overcame that with the help of therapy. Feeling stress. Stress affects all aspects of our lives, including our sex lives. Sometimes SPA could be brought on because you are stressed at work or by some other situation. Um, I overcame that with the help of therapy. Previous negative sexual experiences slash trauma. By the way, the stress was due to the rape. Um, having had negative experiences in the past, either with your current partner or former partner, with SPA. It was all because the rapist, not because of my consenting partners. Over, over consuming um, pornographic content. This can sometimes give you a false perception of sexual look and feel like research is important to develop sexual dysfunction. That's not true for everybody, but I was forced to overconsume pornographic content by the rapists, never because of my consenting partners. Um, but overcame that help therapy. SPA can sometimes feed into itself and cause an unfortunate cycle. It starts with the person feeling anxious before sex, which affects their performance, then becoming more anxious next time they engage in sexual activity because they're unable, they're unable to perform the last time. I was always able to perform enough in my, at my, the metabolism I was supposed to have back then, but I grew more anxious the more I was having sex. Um, let me keep going. Treatment for sexual performance anxiety. Treatment for sexual performance anxiety typically depends on what's causing it. In general, a combination of medication and psychotherapy could be used to treat its symptoms. Psychotherapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy is sometimes recommended for the treatment of SPA. I had that. That's why my mind was where it wasn't when I was a child. Thank you for that. Medication, medication used to treat erectile dysfunction such as Viagra and Pylos is sometimes recommended for people who have SPA. Um, I'm always open medication. I don't need any, but I've never closed out medication because you never know how your body is in the future. But my therapist said I don't need any medication, so... I'm good on that. You know, more research needs to be done to find an adequate treatment for sexual performance anxiety. Cognitive behavioral therapy medication have so far proven to be some of the most effective treatments for SPA. Vespirone, Viproapon, Vipropion, Vispirone, and Trazodone have also shown potential helping treat symptoms of SPA. How to cope with sexual performance anxiety. The first step to cope with sexual performance anxiety is removing any shame you might be feeling about not having optimal sex life. I'm so, I, I thank myself for doing that. In some instances, sexual performance anxiety goes away with time, especially in situations caused by having a new central set. <laughs> in some instances, sexual performance anxiety goes away with time, especially in situations caused by having a new sexual partner where a relationship issue with your partner has been resolved. People with sexual performance anxiety often operate under the false belief that they are somehow inadequate or incapable of satisfying their partners. Focusing more on your enjoyment that of your partner instead of how adequate your performance is can help you overcome anxiety. I do all of the above. Here are some other tips that can help you overcome SPA. Meditate. 
Meditation is also recommended for coping with any form of performance anxiety. That is what I do. Masturbate. Spend some time with yourself to get a better understanding of your own needs. I do that. Get out of your head. When you're having sex, try to spend more time enjoying its motions instead of worrying about what could be going wrong. I do that. Except that sex isn't always perfect. There'll be some days you might not just feel up to having sex. This most likely has nothing to do with your physical ability. I do that. Slow down and take your time. Sometimes you might not have spent enough time engaging before, but it's supposed to you and your partner and their partner. I do that. Eliminate stress from your life. One of the causes of sexual performance anxiety is stress over other factors in your life, like finances or work. Managing stress with meditation, exercise, and regular sleep can help. I do that. Speak to a therapist. Speak with a sex therapist may help you discover your sexual performance anxiety. Well, I already know where it stems from. If I had to speak to a sex therapist, I will, if I ever had to, but I know the root of my sexual performance anxiety, which was forcibly given to me by the rapists and the pedophiles and the molesters, the assaulters, so I know exactly how to deal with it. This is a self-diagnosis, but I know that it's true. And I'm glad I'm, I'm healing from it on purpose. Okay. So let's discuss uh, something very, very important. Uh, okay. Not by Vanessa Maureen, December 20th, 2015. Nine signs of relationship with sex is unhealthy. We're always hearing that we could be having better sex, a better orgasm, or a better relationship. How often do we hear the nitty-gritty of how we can actually better understand our deepest desires and most embarrassing questions? Bustle has enlisted Vanessa Marin, a sex therapist, to help us out with the details. No gender, sexual orientation, or question is off-limits, and all questions remain anonymous. Now, on to today's topic, signs you have an unhealthy relationship with sex. Question, I, I keep winding up dating people who don't have very good relationships with sex. It has become such a pattern that now I'm wondering if there's something I'm not recognizing about myself. Like, am I actually the one with the problem if I keep dating people with problems? What are the warning signs of unhealthy sex life? The answer, thanks for the question. While sex can be one of the best parts of being a human, there are lots of ways that relationships can get complicated. Here are nine non-exhaustive signs non-exhaustive signs of an unhealthy relationship with sex to watch out for in yourself and your partner. One, you put yourself in dangerous situations. Let's start with one of the most obvious signs of a problematic relationship with sex, not being safe. Sex comes with lots of risks, including pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. If you want to have a healthy and happy sex life, you have to educate yourself about the risk levels of the preferred sexual activity. You have to use protection so that your partners use protection. You have to get tested regularly, share your results with your partner, maximum share their results in return. Two, you're not picky enough. Your body is your temple. Cheesy but true. You should be choosy about the people you let into your pants or other attire. Even if you're even if you're having casual sex, you should share at least a basic level of comfort and respect with all your sexual partners and vice versa. Want an easy litmus test? If you would feel embarrassed telling your best friend that you slept with a certain someone, maybe don't have sex with that person. If you would feel embarrassed telling your best friend that you slept with 
persons, maybe don't have sex with those persons. Some other guidelines, don't have sex with someone just because you want them to like you or because you feel like you quote unquote owe them. Don't have sex with people you're not attracted to. Don't have sex with people you don't like. Have standards and stick to them. Three, you turn to sex when you're sad or anxious. An improved mood is one of the great unexpected benefits of sex, but you shouldn't rely on sex to make you feel better. Lots of people turn to porn, masturbation, sex, and soothe feelings that they don't want to acknowledge or deal with. Sex should not be your primary coping mechanism. If you find yourself questioning your motivations, try stopping yourself every time you feel the impulse to watch porn, masturbate, or have sex, and ask yourself, what am I feeling right now? Is there anything I'm ignoring? Or you can never get enough. Some people become so dependent on porn, masturbation, or sex that they lose their sense of control over their sex lives. It can even start to feel like an addiction. Feeling like you always want more and can never be satisfied is a sign that something is off in your relationship with sex. Having a high sex drive, like mine, is perfectly healthy, but it may be crossing a line if your sexual habits get in the way of your normal day-to-day life. Um, I have a healthy relationship with porn. Ethical porn is my thing, as you know. I have a healthy relationship with sex. I have a healthy relationship with masturbation. Mutual and solo. Okay. So, number five. Do you use sex as a tool? You should have sex because it's fun and feels good. That's me. Not because you want to manipulate another person to liking you, getting into a relationship with you, boosting self-esteem, or doing you a favor. I witnessed that in college and high school all the time. Similarly, you shouldn't withhold sex as punishment as a bargaining chip or as a means to get what you want. Six, you don't know how to talk about sex. Sexual communication is important for so many reasons, including expressing your boundaries, saying no, saying no, sharing your desires, giving feedback in the moment, and addressing problems. It's an absolutely essential part of having a healthy sex life. It could take a while to develop your sexual communication skills, so don't worry if you don't feel like you're there just yet. As long as you're making an effort, you're on the right track. But if you refuse to talk about sex, you shouldn't be having it. Seven, you care more about your partner than yourself. Most of us want to please our partners, but some people are so eager to please that they're willing to betray their own wants and needs in favor of their partners. Some people have sex when they don't want to or engage in activities that they don't desire simply because their partner and our partners wanted it or pushed for it. It's fine to compromise on things that you don't have a strong opinion about, but you should also have a set of firm boundaries that you won't cross. For example, let's say you've never been that interested in being spanked, but you're willing to try it if your partner's into it. That's much different than allowing your partner to pressure you into having unprotected sex. Eight, you don't respect others' boundaries. On the flip side of the coin, some people are so adamant about getting what they want that they ignore or even violate their partner's boundaries. This can come in the form of pressuring a partner, mocking their requests, ignoring safe words, or at the most extreme, forcing yourself on them. It should go without saying that your relationship with sex is pretty fucked up if you do any of the above. Nine, you don't pay attention to your body. 
Sex can be fun and pleasurable. It can also be painful and scary. We each need to take care of ourselves and our bodies when we're being intimate. Don't, don't ever push yourself to keep having sex and experiencing pain or discomfort. Don't ignore triggers. Don't tune out gut feelings that something is wrong. Uh, listen to your body. It knows much more than you realize. If you recognize yourself in any of these categories, know that sometimes just acknowledging your patterns is enough to make a change. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you may want to consider enlisting the help of an experienced sex therapist. So, I overcame all of these nine signs when it came to a warped relationship with sex that I was forced to have because of the rapist. And now, all the wisdom that Vanessa Maureen stated in this article, I applied them exceptionally well, 100% in my partner's community. All right. Healthy sex versus unhealthy sex. Innerwellbeing.com updated June 16, 2018. Have you ever wanted the intimate relationship you are in is healthy for you? If you have this question lingering on your mind for too long, or have the feeling that something is off, it may be time to do something about it. Our sexual exploration is one of the most thrilling experiences a human being can have. At times, people have difficulty recognizing whether sexual behavior is healthy or unhealthy, despite the adverse consequences that they may be experiencing as a result. Certain sexual behaviors are considered psychosexual disorders and are studied within the area of sex addiction. Other sexual behaviors are considered psychologically quote-unquote normal like masturbation or consensual and open sex with multiple partners. However, even healthy sex can be carried out in an unhealthy way. How do we know when sexual behavior is unhealthy or damaging to our mental, emotional, slash physical health? Healthy sexual behavior agrees with the person's values. It's respectful of self and others. It's honest. Both partners and all the partners involved, because you do have group sex, feel safe and free to choose and deepens intimacy and joy. Unhealthy uh, sexual behavior compromises guys is dishonest and exploitative at times disrespectful of self and others and it doesn't deepen intimacy hunter during a lifetime a person may experience changes related to sexual behavior activity and values it's important to maintain a transparent open form of communication with our partner and our partners when there are no when they, where there are no taboos when is sexual behavior and addictive behavior a sex addict usually presents obsession an intense preoccupation with sexual thoughts and sexual activity. Sexual behavior is considered sex addiction when it's compulsive, it's out of control, and it continues despite adverse consequences. This, this is what it's called the three C's of addiction compulsive, control, loss, and parentheses continue. Uh, compulsive means that there's a conflict between the intention not to engage in sexual behavior and the actual behavior which violates the intention. Out of control means that the sex addict cannot control the urge to engage in sexual behavior. With loss of control, the sexual experience also becomes increasingly pervasive with what started out as quote-unquote normal or casual sexual exploration can turn into a habit that becomes part of that person's life. Um, if a young person, male or female, or LGBTQI+, doesn't practice control over their sexual urges and behaviors, that person is likely, as an adult, to continue a sexual pattern of compulsion and loss, con loss con con and loss of control, even in committed and fulfilling relationships, even though that can happen in casual relationships, too. To avoid these patterns, it becomes important to understand at an early age the concept of conscious relationships. 
Addiction disorders tend to progress with time. The addict needs more to get the same effect. A common feature of addiction. There are three levels of sex addiction that a person can experience. But this doesn't mean that all sex addicts will progress from one level to the next. Sex addicts are more likely to repeat or intensify the sexual behavior of their preference. For example, a person who has multiple affairs is more likely over time to continue this behavior increasing rather than switch to a different sexual behavior. Three levels of sex addiction. Level one, acceptable slash tolerable sexual behavior, masturbation, not to level two, victimizing sexual behavior that's illegal, exhibitionism, voyeurism, obscenity. Level three, illegal slash grave consequences of sexual behavior, rape, incest, child molestation. Studies show that 81% of men and 19% of women have been admitted for treatment for sex addictions, Congress section 91. Uh, framing healthy sexual behavior, addictive sex, feels shameful, is illicit, exploitative, compromises values, draws on fear or excitement, reenacts childhood abuse, disconnects one from oneself, creates world of unreality, is self-destructive and dangerous, uses conquest or power, is seductive, serves to medicate or kill pain, is dishonest, becomes routine, requires double life, is grim and joyless, demands perfection. Healthy sex adds to self esteem, has no victims, deepens meaning, uses vulnerability for excitement, cultivates sense of being adult, furthers sense of self, expands reality, relies on safety, is mutual and intimate, takes responsibility for needs, may bring legitimate suffering. Okay, let me clarify that. When it says may bring legitimate suffering, it means that that you may have people who make fun of you for going about sex the right way. So this healthy sex is not your legitimate suffering. It's how we live in a sexually reckless world so they make fun of you for not being like them. So that's what that means. Originates in integrity, presents challenges, integrates the most authentic parts of self, is fun and playful, accepts me imperfect. So I overcame addictive sex and the negatives of it. There's no positives of it. Um, due to what happened when I was five, I was never a sex addict though. And I know the word, I don't like to call people addicts or addicts because you make the issue their identity, but the issue is not their identity. They are who they are, regardless of what they're hooked on or not, you know. And there's healthy seduction, which healthy sex is about. Then there's unhealthy seduction, which, you know, the addictive sex. So I, I frame, like, I have good addictions. Like, I'm addicted to... Um, healthy sex with my health with my 
consenting partners. So I, that's our addictive sex. It's not like the bad type. It's the good addictive sex and the bad one. Um, exhibitionism can be healthy as long as it's uh, within law and reason, as well as permission and consent from the people that you're dealing with. Same thing with voyeurism. Same thing. It can be that as well. Um, and as a debatable as sex addiction exists, they're not, from doing previous episodes, they may say it's more of a mind issue, so don't blame sex for a person's mental illness. So that's very valid. Okay. Um, and healthy sex is healing, so you're healing the legitimate suffering. So sex can be a, is a healing power. And I engage in sacred sexual healing. I have sacred sex. You know, that means conscious sex within my conscious relationships. Okay, so I'm, I'm healthy sex. I'm all the qualities of healthy sex. Because of, you know, healing. I don't have unhealthy sex. I overcame that. Therapy. I have healthy sex. And I always okay. Let me now talk about this: a gentleman's guide to rape culture. This is HuffingtonPost.com by Zarin Burnett, contributor, freelance writer, living in Los Angeles. If you are a man, you are part of rape culture. I know that sounds rough. You're not a rapist necessarily, but you do perpetuate the attitude of behavior is commonly referred to as rape culture. This is June 5th, 2014, 10, 14 a.m. East Coast time. Updated August 5th, 2014. Um, if you are a man, you are part of rape culture. I know that sounds rough. You're not rapist necessarily, but you do perpetuate the attitudes and behaviors commonly referred to as rape culture. I read again. You may be thinking, now hold up, Zarin. You don't know me, homie. I'll be damned if I'm going to let you say I'm some sort of fan of rape. That's not me, man. I totally know how you feel. That was pretty much exactly my response when someone told me I was a part of rape culture. It sounds horrible. Just imagine moving through the world always afraid you could be raped. That's even worse. Rape culture sucks for everyone involved. But don't get hung up on the terminology. Don't concentrate on the words that offend you. Ignore what they're pointing to. The words rape culture aren't the problem. The reality they describe is the problem. Rape isn't exclusively committed by men. But women aren't the only victims. Men rape men, women rape men, um, but what makes rape a men's problem, our problem is the fact that men commit 99% of reported rapes, how are you a part of rape culture, well I hate to say it, but, but it's because you're a man, when I cross a parking lot at night and see a woman ahead of me, I do whatever I feel is appropriate to make her aware of me so that A, I don't start I don't start I don't startle her. B, she has time to make herself feel slaves make herself feel I'm sorry, I'm gonna repeat this all again, but sometimes the writing. Woo! Okay. How are you part of rape culture? Well I hate to say it, but but it's because you're a man. When I cross a parking lot at night and see a woman ahead of me, I do whatever I feel is appropriate to make her aware of me so that I A a, I don't startle her. B, she has time to make herself feel safe slash comfortable. And C, if it's a, if it's possible, 
I can approach in a way that's clearly friendly in order to let her know I'm not a threat. I do this because I'm a man. Basically, I acknowledge every woman I meet on the street or in an elevator or in a stairway or wherever in a way that indicates she's safe. I want her to feel just as comfortable as if I weren't there. I accept that any woman I come in public doesn't know me and thus all she sees is a man, one who is suddenly near her. I have to keep in mind her sense of space and that my presence might make her feel vulnerable. That's the key factor, vulnerability. I don't know about you, but I don't spend much of my life feeling vulnerable. I've come to learn that women spend most of their social lives with ever-present, unavoidable feelings of vulnerability. Stop and think about that. Imagine always feeling like you could be at risk, like you were living with glass skin. As modern men, we must seek out danger. We choose adventures and extreme sports in order to feel like we're in jeopardy. We make games of our vulnerability. That's how differently men see the world from women. I've stated with full acknowledgement that there's a vibrant community of extreme athletes that are women who regularly risk their safety as well. However, women don't need to engage in adrenaline sports to feel at risk. Now I stand about a finger of tequila under six feet. I work out and would say I'm in decent shape, which means when I'm out alone at night, I rarely ever fear for my safety. Many men know exactly what I mean. Most women have no idea what that feels like to go wherever you want in the world at any time of day or night and feel you won't have a problem. In fact, many women have the exact opposite experience. A woman must consider where she is going, what time of day it is, what time she will arrive at her destination, what time she will leave her destination, what day of the week it is, what day of the week is it, if she'll be left alone at any point. The considerations go on and on because they are far more numerous than you or I can imagine. Honestly, I can't conceive of having to think that much about what I need to do to protect myself at any given moment in my life. In my life. I relish the feeling of getting up and going, day or night, rain or shine, west side or downtown. As men, we can enjoy the particular extreme luxury of movement and freedom of choice. In order to understand rape culture, remember, this is a freedom that at least half the population doesn't enjoy. That's why I go out of my way to use clear body language and act in a way that helps minimize a woman's fear and mutilated feelings. I recommend you do the same. It's seriously like... The least any man can do in public to make women feel more comfortable in the world we share, just be considerate of her in her space. You may think it's unfair that we have to counteract and adjust ourselves to the ill behaviors of the men. You know what? You're right. It is unfair. Is that the fault of women? Or is it the fault of the men who act abysmally and make the rest of us look bad? Those are questions. If issues of fairness bother you, get mad at the men who make you and your actions appear questionable. Because when it comes to assessing a man, Whatever one man is capable of, a woman must presume you are capable of. Unfortunately, that means all men must be judged by our worst examples. If you think that sort of stereotyping is bullshit, how do you treat a snake you come across in the wild? You treat it like a snake, right? Well, that's not stereotyping. That's acknowledging an animal for what it's capable of doing and the harm it can inflict. Simple rules of the jungle, man. Since you're a man, women must treat you as such. The complete reasonable and understandable fear of men is your responsibility. You didn't create it, but you also didn't build the three ways either. Some of the things you inherit from society are cool, and some of them are rape culture. Since no woman can actually judge you or your intentions on sight, you are assumed to be like all other men. 73% of the time a woman knows her rapist. Now, if she can't trust and accurately assess the typical men she knows, I can expect her to ever feel that she can accurately assess you, a complete stranger. 
rape prevention is not just about women teaching women how not to get raped. It's about men not committing rape. Rape prevention is about the fact that a man must understand that quote unquote saying no doesn't mean yes, that when a woman is too drunk slash drugged to respond, that doesn't mean yes, that being in a relationship doesn't mean that being in a relationship doesn't mean yes. Rather than focusing on rather than focus on how women can avoid rape, our rape culture makes an innocent man feel suspect. Our focus should be how do we as men stop rapes from occurring? How do we dismantle the structures? that dismiss and change the attitudes that tolerate it. Since you're a part of it, you ought to know what rape culture is, according to Marshall University's Women's Center website. Rape culture is an environment in which rape is prevalent and in which sexual violence against women is normalized and excused in the media and popular culture. Rape culture is perpetuated through the use of misogynistic language, the justification of women's bodies, and the glamorization of sexual violence, thereby creating thereby creating a society that disregards women's rights and safety. When a woman first told me I was part of rape culture, I wanted to disagree for obvious reasons, but many of you I wanted to say, whoa, that ain't me. Instead, I listened. Later, I approached a writer I respect. I asked her to write an article with me wherein she explained rape culture to me and to male readers. She stopped returning my emails. At first, I was annoyed, and then as it became clear, she wasn't going to respond at all. I actually got mad. Luckily, I learned one should immediately respond when they feel flashes of anger. Thunder is impressive, but it's the rain that nurses life. So I let that storm pass and thought about it. I took a walk. They seemed to jangle my best thoughts loose. Blocks from my house in front of a car wash dawned on me. Rape culture is so important to me. I need to find out for myself what it is. No woman owes me her time just because I wanted to know about something she inherently understands. No woman should feel she has to explain rape culture to me just because I want to know what it is. No woman owes me shit. I saw how my desire for a woman to satisfy me ran deep. Even my curiosity, a trait that always made me proud, was marked with the same sort of male-centric presumption that fueled rape culture. I expected to be satisfied. That attitude is the problem. I started reading and kept reading until I understood rape culture in my part in it. Here are bullet point lists of examples of rape culture. Blaming the victim, she asked for it. Trivializing sexual assault boys would be boys. Sexually explicit jokes, tolerance of sexual harassment, inflating false rape report statistics, publicly scrutinizing a victim's dress, mental state, motives, and history, gratuitous gendered violence in movies and television, defining manhood as dominant and sexually aggressive, defining womanhood as submissive and sexually passive, pressure on men to score, pressure on women to not appear cold, assuming only promiscuous women get raped. Assuming that men don't get raped or that only weak men get raped. Refusing to take rape accusations seriously. Teaching women to avoid getting raped instead of teaching men not to rape. You'll quickly find that rape culture plays a centric role in all the social dynamics of our time. It's at the heart of all our personal interactions. It's a part of our social, societal, environmental struggles. Rape culture is not just about sex. It is the product of a generalized attitude of male supremacy. Sexual violence is one expression of the attitude. Again, don't let the terminology spook you. Don't get hung up on the term male supremacy. The term isn't the problem. The problem is that rape culture hurts everyone involved. Antiquated patriarchal notions of society makes it difficult for men to come forward as rape victims just as much as they foster a desire for man, for a man to be seen as powerful and sexually aggressive. Men shouldn't feel threatened or attacked when women point out rape culture. They're telling us about our common enemy. We ought to listen. Now that you know what it is, what can you do about rape culture? 
Avoid using language that objectifies and degrades women. Speak out if you hear someone else make an offensive joke or trivializing rape. If a friend says she has been raped, take her seriously and be supportive. Think critically and if I said and think critically about the media's messages about women, men, relationships, and violence. Be respectful of the physical space, even in casual situations. Always communicate with sexual partners and do not assume consent. Define your own manhood and womanhood. Don't let your stereotypes shape your actions. What else can you do about rape culture when you experience it? In real life. Hold on. What else can you do about rape culture and experience it in real life IRL? One, men can confront men. No one is suggesting violence. No one is suggesting violence. In fact, that's what we're looking to avoid. But sometimes a man needs to confront another man or a group of men in a situation. When I'm out in public and I see a man hassling a woman, I stop for a moment. I make sure the woman sees me. I want her to know I'm fully aware of what's happening. I wait for a moment for a clear indication from her of whether she needs help. Sometimes the couple team right on fighting like a, just a hickory tree. Other times the woman will make it clear that she'd like backup in a social situation. I never have, I never had to get violent. Usually my presence alone makes the guy leave if he's a stranger or explain himself to their familiar. It changes the dynamic. That's why I always stop when I see a woman getting hassled in public. For any reason, I make sure any woman in what could become a violent situation when I may or may not be correctly assessed feels like she has the opportunity to signal to me if she needs assistance. I'm a big brother to a sister, so that response is practically instinctual. But I, but I don't limit this to women. I've also done this for two men who are clearly in a lover's spat. Whenever you see a situation spiraling out of control, especially if someone is crying for help or being attacked, you should confront the situation. You don't need to quote unquote break it up, but engage, get involved, take down pertinent information, alert authorities, call the police, do something. Two, men can correct men. If you hear a guy say some jacked up, fucked up slurs in front of you, and there's no one from that particular community around to be offended, you can still say something. This is also true when you hear misogynistic language. Speak up, tell your friend or coworker that rape jokes are bullshit and you won't tolerate them. Trust me, you won't lose your quote man card. If you're older than 19 and you're still worried about your man card, you don't understand what respectable masculinity is about anyway. It's not about cultish approval from others. It's about being your own man and doing the right thing. You might be surprised by how many other men will respect you for doing what they wanted to but didn't. I've heard it plenty. I'm not some social justice cop, but I have and will argue with whole roomfuls of men. Later on, some dudes approach me and say how much they respected what I did. I always tell them it gets easy to speak up every time you do it. I promise you that's true. No one is suggesting you go around policing everybody. I don't make it my business to make sure everybody lives by my yardstick. No one needs to tell them what you think about every little thing they say and whether it meets your criteria for social awareness. But when some dude says some foul shit and you know it, we all hear those jokes. You can let the dude know his rape joke or his she's a whore knowledge he didn't play. Three, men can make other men shut the fuck up. STFU. Let's say you're in a group. Of, let's say you're in a group of men, and one of your friends start hollering at a woman. Tell him to knock it the fuck off. You won't be a punk for speaking up for the woman. As long as you don't try to score points with her for quote unquote defending her, you won't be white knighting it either. 
you're just doing the right thing. No one needs some sexist clown hollering at her because the dude popped a mental woody. Catcalling is one of the worst advertisements for male sexuality there is. Those assholes make us all look like complete tools. You get that, right? We need to cut that shit out. Working construction is when I've learned to speak up to a group of men. You have to do it. You have to do it. Mostly you do it because you want to respect yourself. Otherwise, you're another pathetic man that allows a guy to mistreat a woman in your presence. When a guy catcalls a woman and you don't say something, he just treated her like a cheaply degraded sex object for satisfaction and he turns you into the punk ass that's willing to allow him to mistreat a woman in your presence while you say nothing, while you do nothing. What would your grandfather think if he saw you in that moment? Would he be proud of you? Are you proud of yourself? Male pride is good for something. Use it to be your better self. Don't be that silent punk that goes along with the crowd to get along with the crowd. Again, don't be that silent punk that goes along with the crowd to get along with the crowd. Speak up when someone catcalls a woman in front of you. Tell them to shut the fuck up. As a man, you have power. Use it. Men respect conviction. Four. It's our job to have standards for ourselves and thus for all men. You may think, Siron, man, lighten up, brother. Cat calling's not that big a deal. Are we making a mountain out of a mole? A mole hill? Some women like it. You may be right. Maybe some women do like it. That doesn't matter. I like the speed. My cousin likes to smoke pot in public. Neither of us gets to do what we like. That's just how it goes sometimes when you're a member of a society. We find that women who like to be catcalled go for it. Just do it behind closed doors. When you're in public, respect the physical, mental space of others. Don't limit yourself to being a man. Be a mensch. Be a mensch. Be a human being. Be a man. But he said mensch. S-E-H. Okay, but be, be a man. Okay. When something like hashtag yes all women occurs in our cultural conversation and women the world over are out there sharing their experiences, their trauma, their stories, and their personal views as men, we don't need to enter that conversation. In that moment, all we need to do is listen and reflect and let their words change our perspective. Our job is to ask ourselves how we can be better. I want to say that we shouldn't stereotype all men, all people, of course. We shouldn't say um, all this or all that. And we shouldn't automatically assume um, that someone is just like all the rest. No, they are. Majority of people are decent people regardless of what gender they classify themselves and we should educate ourselves and also understand that there are people who generally want to know them and understand they're not trying to pressure you to learn for them they're not pressuring you to educate them it's just some people really don't know you know and for her rapist i always had trouble with that's my rapist and my murder's like uh, i don't like to claim that's a rapist but i don't like to claim it personally as in that's my you know what i'm saying that's the person who raped me it's better to say it that's the person who murdered me it's better than saying it um, these things happen to people in the LGBTQ plus community, like myself, as I keep saying. So, all the gentleman's guide to rape culture, I apply exceptionally well, 100%. I do. Okay. Um, this is what I want to say. This will, I think, will be the last thing I read. 
Um, I want to make sure that y'all get the point. So this is the last thing I read. 16 ways you can stand against rape culture. May November 18, 2019. Boys will be boys she was drunk. Women say no when they mean yes. Rape culture is pervasive. It's embedded in the way we think, speak, and move in the world. While the context may differ, rape culture is always rooted in patriarchal beliefs, power, and control. Rape culture is the social environment that allows sexual violence to be normalized and justified, fueled by the persistence of gender inequalities and attitudes about gender and sexuality. Naming it is the first step to dismantling rape culture. Every day we have the opportunity to examine our behaviors and beliefs for biases that permit rape culture to continue. From the attitudes we have about gender identity to the policies we support in our communities, we can all take action to stand against rape culture. There are 16 ways you can do your part. One, create a culture of enthusiastic consent. Clearly giving consent is mandatory every time. Rather than listening for a no, make sure there's an active yes from all involved. Adopt enthusiastic consent in your life and talk about it. Two, speak out against the root cause. Rape culture is allowed to continue when we buy two ideas of masculinity that see violence and dominance as quote-unquote strong and male. And when women and girls are less valued. It's also underpinned by victim blaming attitude that suggests a victim rather than the perpetrator bears responsibility for an assault. When discussing cases of sexual violence, the victim's sobriety, clothing, and sexuality are, are irrelevant. Instead, kind of the idea that men and boys must obtain power through violence and question the notion of sex as an entitlement. Three, redefine masculinity. Take a critical look at what masculinity means to you and how you embody it. Self-reflection, community conversation, and artistic expression are just some of the tools available for men and boys, as well as women and girls, to examine and redefine masculinity and feminist principles. Four, stop victim blaming. Because language is deeply embedded in culture, we may forget that the words and phrases we use each day shape our reality. Rape affirming beliefs are embedded in our language. She was dressed like a slut. She was asking for it. It's part of popular song lyrics. I know you want it. And it's normalized by objectifying women and calling them names in pop culture and media. You have the power to choose to leave behind language and lyrics that blame victims, objectify women, excuse sexual harassment. When a woman is wearing what how much she had to drink and where she was at a certain time, it's not an invitation to rape her. It's never an invitation to rape her. Five, have zero tolerance. Establish policies of zero tolerance of sexual harassment and violence in the spaces in which you live, work, and play. Leaders must be particularly clear that they are committed to upholding a zero tolerance policy and that it must be practiced every day. At a starting point, take a look at what you can do to make harassment at work history. Six, broaden your understanding of rape culture. Across time and context, rape culture takes many forms. It's important to recognize that rape culture goes beyond the narrow notion of a man assaulting a woman as she walks along, alone at night. For instance, rape culture encompasses a wide array of harmful practices that rob women and girls of their autonomy and rights, such as child marriage and female genital mutilation. Know the factors that underpin rape culture and the myths that surround it. While no one may disagree, while no one may disagree that rape is wrong, through words, actions, and inaction and silence, sexual violence and sexual harassment is normalized and trivialized, leading us down a slippery slope of rape culture. Seven, take an intersectional approach. Rape culture affects us all regardless of gender identity, sexuality, economic status, race, religion, or age. Rooting it out means leaving behind restricted definitions of gender and sexuality and other person's right to define and express themselves. Certain characteristics such as sexual orientation, disability status, or ethnicity 
are some contextual factors to increase women's vulnerability to violence. LGBTQI plus individuals may be subjected, quote unquote, corrective rape in which the perpetrator intends to force the victim to conform with sexual and gender stereotypes during humanitarian crisis. Prevalent discrimination against women and girls often exacerbates sexual violence. Golzada Surzan is an active member of Firm Mementa, a Kazakhstan feminist initiative that protects and defends the rights of LGBTQI plus community members. Working as an IT project manager, a male co-worker began to sexually harass her on business trips. When she told him she was a lesbian, his harassment became stronger. He believed he could quote-unquote correct me, Surzan says. He said that I needed a strong man. In Kazakhstan, the society accepts and values men who are savage and brutal. It's considered natural when men make sexual advances toward it's considered natural when men make sexual advances towards women, even though I consider that brutal. If you are invisible in everyday life, your needs will not be thought of, let alone addressing a crisis situation, explained Matcha Fornan, who works to address the unique needs of LGBTQ plus individuals in crises. Eight, know the history of rape culture. Rape has been used as a weapon of war and oppression throughout history. That's been used to degrade women in their communities and for ethnic cleansing and genocide. There are no quick reads for this. You can start by learning about the use of sexual violence during past and recent conflicts, such as in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the Guatemalan Civil War, or the Kosovo Conflict. Nine, invest in women. Donate to organizations that empower women, amplify their voices, support survivors, and promote acceptance of all gender identities and sexuality. UN United Nations Women works to end violence against women, assist survivors, and secure equal rights for women and girls everywhere. Donate now at donate.unwomen.org slash en slash 16 days. 10. Listen to survivors. In the era of Me Too, Time's Up, Nayuna Menos, Balance, Tone Pork, Church Two, and other online movements, survivors of, survivors of violence are speaking out more than ever before. Listen to the experiences, read stories of survivors and activists around the globe, and follow Orange the World. Follow hashtag Orange the World, hashtag Generation Equality on social media. Don't say why did you leave. Do say we hear you, we see you, we believe you. Eleven. Don't laugh at rape. Rape is never a funny punchline. Rape jokes delegitimize sexual violence, make it harder for victims to speak up when their consent is violated. Humor that normalizes and justifies sexual violence is not acceptable. Call it out. Twelve. Get involved. Rape culture is held up by the absence or lack of enforcement of laws addressing violence against women discriminatory laws on property ownership, marriage, divorce, and child custody. Check out the global database on violence against women to see what your country is doing to protect women and girls. Engage with your representatives to ensure implementation of laws that promote gender equality. 13. End impunity. To end rape culture, perpetrators must be held accountable. By prosecuting sexual violence cases, we recognize these acts as crimes and send a strong message of zero tolerance. Whenever you see pushback against legal consequences for perpetrators, fight for justice and accountability. 14. Be an active bystander. One in three women worldwide experience abuse. Violence against women is shockingly common. We may become witness to non-consensual violent behavior. Intervening as an active bystander signals to the perpetrator that the behavior is unacceptable and may help someone stay safe. First, assess the situation and determine what kind of help, if any, might be appropriate. You may be able to support the target of sexual harassment by asking how they are or if they would like help or by documenting the incident. Creating distractions to the abuse situation and making it short a clear statement directly to the perpetrator, such as, I'm uncomfortable with what you're doing, and saying, read on, read up on how you can be an active bystander and take a bystander intervention training hosted by a university and municipality or local NGO. 
15. Educate the next generation. It's in our hands to inspire the future families of the world. Challenge agendas, stereotypes, and violent ideals that children encounter in the media, on the streets, and at school. Let children know that your family is a safe space for them to express themselves as they are. Affirm their choices and teach the importance of consent at a young age. Look for inspirational content. Here are 12 feminist books everyone should read. You can go on the website, see for yourself. 16. Start or join the conversation. Talk to family and friends about how you can work together to end rape culture in your community. Whether it's hosting a conversation club that impacts the meaning of masculinity, fundraising for a women's rights organization, or joining forces to protest rape affirming decisions and policies, it'll take all of us to stand united against rape culture. You can join the conversation online right now by following quote unquote hashtag orange the world and hashtag generation equality. Now, some people will say, like, um, um, I want to talk about this, about how to deal with um, stand-up comedy routines. Um, this is very controversial, but... Um, And I don't mean to be insensitive when I say this. Um, I think this is how I'm going to say it. Um, George Carlin, I'll just quote this part of George Carlin to be very sensitive. I believe you can joke about anything. It all depends on how you construct the joke, what the exaggeration is, what the exaggeration is. Because every joke needs one exaggeration. Every joke needs one thing to be way out of proportion. And then it says, um, I'll create an example so everybody can be understanding what I mean exaggeration. Let's say I talk about how I love to dance. Let's say I was dancing so well that I dance with all the ladies. That's an exaggeration because there's some ladies sitting in, on, sitting at the tables. So of course, I didn't dance with all the ladies, but I feel like I danced so many ladies, it's like all of them. So that's the exaggeration. So I agree with George Carl, you can joke about anything as long as you don't do it out of malice nor bitterness. And I mean any topic you joke about, but the reason why some people are like, you didn't dance with all the ladies, man. I saw them sit too. I'm like, I know, but I danced with so many of them, man, that I'm telling you. I just had to dance. I, I felt like it, man. But I said in a joking way and nobody's offended because I'm not shitting on anybody. You can joke about anything. I'm not shitting on anybody unnecessarily. As long as you're not unnecessarily shitting on people, but you're doing it out of satire 
out of edutainment, out of cautionary tales, then joking about all topics and discussing all topics are all appropriate. So that's what I believe. Um, but yes, I do um, have these 16 ways I stand against rape culture. So, okay. In conclusion, I do want to say this. Pubs, bars, nightclubs, parties, live music, concerts, cabarets, theaters, cinemas, shows, the nightlife. I do all in moderation. Dancing, I do that in moderation. Okay? When I say moderation, not too much, not too little, just right. Okay. Oh, all right. So... I decided I love tattoos, love body alterations, you know. I love surgeries, I love piercings. So I'm gonna get one tattoo, that's my being in moderation. That'll be my grandma Claire on my left chest, and that'll be it. I'll get one ear pierced on my left side. I just love doing it on my left. That's just my thing. So yes, I love body modifications, love alternate lifestyles. I do. I do. I do all those things in moderation, of course. And um Weed, alcohol, sex industry services, free sex, gambling, all in moderation that I do, all in moderation. So, I just want to say I'm thankful. I just want to say this in closing. I hope, like, when it comes to youth and age and suicide, let's try to make that as low as we can. Let's try to make abortion as low as we can. Let's try to make death penalty as low as we can. Um, I feel that way, you know, in terms of how we can improve our criminal justice system and more fun, how we can improve uh, families and neighborhoods that are broken and dysfunctional. So that's what I'm saying. Any right to die, right to life subject, let's try to keep it as low as we can. That's how I feel about all right to die subjects and all right to life. Uh, I just wanted to say that in closing and um, I don't think there are, I don't think holy books are perfect. There are perfect parts of holy books that talk about the abyss of narrative and the parable of the shrewd manager, the parable of the rich fool, those kinds of things. Um, that's how I feel. And um, I want to thank you all so much for hearing me. to clarify something I'm pro-choice and I'm a live and let live to each their own whatever floats your boat yellow yellow you only live but once anything goes 
do no harm principle don't interfere with the freedoms of others and don't have anyone interfere with your own freedoms if you can legitimately help it and um you know when it comes to right to life right to die subjects i'm in the middle um meaning let's focus on what's causing inequality and equity people feeling like they have to um make sensitive decisions i like to get to the root causes of things like social programs can help people social services can help people uh civil service and public service that are all compassionate people can help so i want to clarify those things what i mean um another thing is you know i attend adult comedy clubs in moderation um I'm okay with people wearing revealing clothes, of course. And um, I party in moderation, I'd say that. And I say and do and think and feel all things in moderation and everything in moderation.